praise the Lord. He is alive. He is risen. And he lives forevermore. We are going to go to that famous resurrection passage uh, this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we're going to look at this today. Since Christ is risen. It has been said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of the Bible. uh, The pinnacle of our gospel. The pinnacle of our faith. And really, for believers, the pinnacle of our eternity. It has been said as well that everything in Christianity really rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has been said that if the resurrection is not true, then we have no reason to be here this morning. And I would agree with that. The resurrection is a pinnacle. It's not the end of the story. But the rest of the story doesn't have a happy ending or any hope at all without the resurrection of Jesus. Just imagine for a moment, if you would, another famous story or any number of them. And imagine if it didn't go the way that it's written or the way that we know it. Imagine Romeo and Juliet if at the end they had fallen out of love and they just both died separately. Imagine Robin Hood, if Robin had become a sympathizer to the king and went around collecting taxes. Imagine a Christmas carol, if Ebenezer Scrooge just remained in his humbuggery. Those stories wouldn't be the same, would they? And those are fictional stories. They're just works of imagination. The story of Jesus is not in the same realm. It's not merely a story, but it's account. It's not fiction, but it's fact. And the account of the resurrection is the chief piece of that factuality. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul really frames his entire letter with these two things, the crucifixion and the resurrection. In chapter 1, he really goes to great lengths speaking about the cross of Christ, how it seems like foolishness to the world, but how it is in fact the power of God unto salvation. Consider 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And here in chapter 15, which we will look at today, Paul is closing his letter by stating the importance and the factuality and the internal implications of the true account of the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, is really his main thrust, where he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection is attested by so many. Uh, For starters, we have the four gospel writers who all bear witness of this great account. Earlier in this service, we read from Luke chapter 24, his account of the resurrection. I want to take just a moment to get a glimpse of the other three as well. These are just snippets, but in Matthew 28, we read, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. 
See, I have told you. And in Mark chapter number 16, we read this. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In John chapter 20, again, we read this. They said to her, the angels that is, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Beside these gospel writers, Paul himself tells of many crucifix or many resurrection witnesses. In this very chapter, we read, uh, beginning in verse number three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. If you take nothing else away from these words and these accounts, we must at least believe that the writers of scripture 100% affirmed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was factual and that they staked their lives on that claim. Time wouldn't permit to recount the stories of the thousands of people within the first century alone who gave their lives up as martyrs because they believed and spread the word about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today, we take the resurrection of Christ as fact. And if or since it is true, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, Paul really shapes this last passage in 1 Corinthians around that question. If you have your Bible, you can open it to this passage or you can follow along on the screen. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised from the dead, that is the crucial question for Paul. If Christ is not raised from the dead, 
We are without hope. We are liars. And our faith is empty. And you can see why the resurrection is so critical. But as we've already seen, Christ is risen from the dead. And for us, the question now goes from if Christ isn't resurrected to what is true since Christ is resurrected. And that's what I want to spend the next several minutes speaking about today. We'll see this. The resurrection of Christ is of utmost importance to our living and our dying. And since Jesus is risen, may we stake our hope in him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we go any further. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wondrous mystery. The Lord of life laid down his life to give life to others. But he did not remain there. He rose again. Jesus, you rose again. And you live forever. May we see you in this passage, your power, your glory, and the importance of this great account. And may we stake our hope in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, first thing we see, since the resurrection is true, since Christ is raised, then we see this. The gospel is true. The gospel is true. This is where Paul begins this passage. And I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, verse one and following. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you as first of importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This, in simple form, is the formulation of the gospel message. Paul didn't invent this. He didn't come up with it. It was the Christian message from the start, and it centers around what Jesus did. Now, notice that the resurrection is the key element of this. Again, without the resurrection, the gospel or the good news is no good news at all. But since Christ did die and rise again, we know this gospel is true. And if it is true, then we must pay attention to what it tells us. Notice first that we learn in the gospel message that Christ died for our sins. Since Christ rose from the dead and since the gospel message is true, then we must know what it means that Christ died for our sins. Well, we could say to start with that it means in some way or form that sin demanded that kind of accounting, that kind of punishment. And in another place, Paul does tell us that because he says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in another place, in Romans 5, he tells us this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is a part of the curse and chaos that the world was plunged into because of the fall of man, because of sin. Sin is any transgression or any lack of conformity to God's law, to God's way, guilty of 
and born into as well. Sin, transgression against God's law demands payment. It really demands death as we read in Romans 6. And since the gospel is true, we must take it seriously when it comes to the seriousness of sin. We must view sin the way that God, our creator, views it. And if God views it as serious enough to demand that kind of payment, that kind of punishment for it, then it must be reckoned with. In another place in Romans 5, Paul says this, which gives us great hope, because it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There it is again, that fact of the gospel, that Christ has died. Since Christ is resurrected, and we know the gospel is true, then since the gospel is true, then we learn that not only is sin serious and demands payment, but we also learn that Christ died for our sins. And as we read there in Romans 5, Christ died for us. We could read that as in our place, as a substitution, as a payment, as a stand-in. That is the dually important message of the gospel concerning sin. It is serious enough to demand punishment and death. But Christ died in the place of all those who would repent and trust in him. Now, again, apart from the resurrection, none of this is valid. It all hangs on that. If Christ is not raised, then maybe he was just another fanatic. But since Christ is raised, then this gospel is true. And since this gospel is true, I would humbly request and implore you to come to terms with the gospel of Christ. If you have not, I would encourage you to take sin seriously, to own your own sin and the damage that it has done in life. But not only that, the punishment that is rightly due. Learn to see sin as God sees it. But then quickly, quickly run to Christ and see that he has died. He is risen. And he is a faithful savior to all who come to him. So first, since the, God, since the resurrection is true, we see that the gospel is true. But secondly, we see since Christ is raised, our faith is not empty. Look again to verse number 12 and following in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The idea of resurrection was practically unheard of as being a reality in Roman and Greek culture. It was obviously hard to believe then as it is today. It's not something we see every day of someone rising from the dead. Before the mind that knew the scriptures, though, resurrection was something not so unheard of. For instance, in both of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, his successor, they were both used to raise people from the dead. 
And the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament has one of its primary visions, a scene of a valley of dry bones, bodies of men slain in battle that rose up and had their flesh restored and life given back again. The idea of resurrection was no new thing to those who knew God. When we come into the New Testament, the resurrection we see at work comes in Jesus' own life. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then maybe even more well-known, he raised his friend Lazarus from the tomb after he had been dead for four days. And one of my favorite lines in all of scripture is when they say, you can't open that door. He stinks. He's been dead for four days. But Christ raised him from the dead. Resurrection is not out of the ordinary for the God of scripture. We still have to admit it's hard to believe. But if we're honest that Paul and the other authors of scripture took it as fact, then that fact is something to marvel at. It's something marvelous to know and believe. And Paul knows the seriousness of it and its importance to our faith because he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, then our faith is empty. The word faith here could be used of personal faith, but could also be used of the whole body of Christian belief in general. If Christ is not raised, then our whole belief system, if you want to call it that, our whole faith and all of our personal faith in Christ is empty as well. Paul admits that. As Christians, we're often accused of using our faith as a crutch, as just something to hide our weakness. And that would be true if Christ is not raised, because it is worthless without that resurrection power. But Christ is risen from the dead, so our faith is not empty. Rather, it is full and lively. Fullness and life are images that we see from the very start of the Bible. God took a formless, empty universe and filled it and shaped it into something good. And so it is with our faith. It is not formless and empty. It is lively and full because of Jesus Christ and the reality of his life, his death, and his resurrection. Therefore, our faith is not just faith in faith. It's not just another religion. It's not even on an equal playing ground with all the other systems of faith in the world. Other religions have interesting persons at their center, but we have a risen Savior who is alive forevermore. He did more than just teach us and then die. He died for us and then rose from the dead to give us eternal life in a full and lively faith. I love these words of the Apostle Peter as he wrote in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul goes on to say that if, if the resurrection were not true, then, then we're even found, verse 15, to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, who he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not raised, then we are liars. Our faith is empty and we're still stuck in our sins. But since Christ is risen, then our faith is backed by the divine plan, the divine revelation, and the divine work of God Almighty. Our faith is full because of that, and our sins are forgiven. And I would ask at this point, do you have this living faith bought and secured for you by the death and resurrection of Christ? Is what you hang your life on backed by the God who created the universe? Is your life resting in your own ability to carry yourself through? Or do you have this living faith since Christ is risen? Our faith is not empty. We have a full and lively faith. Thirdly and finally, we see, though, since Christ is risen, we have hope beyond death. We have hope beyond death. It is good to have a faith that is full and living in this life. And we know that in Christ Jesus, we have everything we need for a righteous and godly life. But the gospel story and the miracle of Christ's redemption doesn't stop with our last breath here on earth. Paul goes on to say in verse number 18, still on that that hypothetical question, if there's no resurrection, if Christ is not raised, He says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Not only is this life staked on Christ's resurrection, but the life to come or eternal life is staked on that as well. If Christ is still in the tomb, then many people have died and had their hopes crushed. But since Christ is risen, then there is eternal hope. Notice what Paul says. If our hope in Christ is only good for this life, we are to be pitied. As we go around the world, as we go to our family and friends, we cannot see and know hearts. But people may be thinking, and maybe one of you here today is thinking, You Christians are to be pitied because you place so much value on something you can't even see or touch or know in this life. And without the resurrection of Christ, that statement would be absolutely true. But may we turn that around for a moment and ask, what is your hope staked in? Is your hope staked in your own strength? Then if so, your hope will die with your own strength? Is your hope staked in your intellect? Well, if so, your hope will diminish with your intellect. Is your hope staked in your financial security? Well, if so, then your hope will fade when your financial security fades. Is your hope staked in family and in friends? Well, if so, then your hope will fail when your loved ones fail. If our hope is in this life only, then we are of all people to be pitied. But know this, there is hope beyond this life. And this hope 
is available in Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. We come to that great verse where Paul says, after all that hypothetical argument, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ is risen from the dead. And because of that, then just as surely as there is death, then there is resurrection as well. And not just Christ, but ours also. You see, the fact that Christ is the first fruit of resurrection gives us great hope because we know that death for a believer is a temporary passage and a necessary step in entering eternal life. Death, in the mind of too many, is is simply the end. And if we're honest, annihilation is the only hope that some may have in their thinking. To be totally done away with seems better than this life. But death is no respite. Death is the enemy. Paul says in verse 24, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrected Christ is the ruling Lord. He is Lord over all, and that lordship includes even death. He has defeated it personally, and it will ultimately be defeated. In the end. And another great passage about resurrection, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us this that we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord away from the body and at home with the Lord, absent from our fleshly body and present with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our promise. And that is our desire to be with him. And because of the resurrection, we have that hope that goes beyond this earthly tent and into eternity. Paul goes on about this in great detail later in this passage of 1 Corinthians 15. Go down to verse number 50. He says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Do you see that in the resurrection of Christ, in the victory of Christ, in the lordship of Christ, there is an eternal kingdom at stake. And of that kingdom, there is eternal citizenship that is available only through Christ. That inheritance will come in that final resurrection when Christ the first and greatest resurrected one of this kingdom brings all of his believing brothers and sisters along with him to the place that he has secured for them. 
read on verse 54. It says, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection is critical to your life and eternity. Eternity will be spent somewhere. None of us will be totally done away with. The question is, where is your hope for eternity? If it is in anything but Christ, then you, as Paul said, are left in your sin. And as we know from Scripture, you will face God's holy wrath. But know this, if you are trusting in Christ, if you have come to that full and living faith in him through the gospel, then those verses we just read are applicable to you as well, where it says that death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And Paul answers, the sting of death is sin. That is, death is the rightful result of sin. And the strength of sin is the law. That is, God's law and his righteous ways are the standard which we fall short of. And you ask, what can be done about this? What about my sin? What, have I, uh, what can I do if I have fallen short? And I would say that, friend, you have fallen short, and so have I. But in Christ, then verse number 57 is true as well, where it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for us, and he was raised for our life and our justification. His death was real. His burial was real. And his resurrection is a reality. And it means so much for us. One of my favorite songs to listen to is one that you may or may not know. It's called His Heartbeats. I want to read a few lines from this. It's about the resurrection of Christ. Imagine this in the moments that he rose. His heartbeats, his blood begins to flow. Waking up what was dead a moment ago. His heart beats. Now everything is changed because the blood that brought us peace with God is racing through his veins. He breathes in. His living lungs expand. The heavy air surrounding death turns to breath again. He breathes out. He is word and flesh once more. The Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. And his heart beats. So crown him the Lord of life. Crown him the Lord of love. Crown him the Lord of all. He took one breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How great is your defeat? The resurrection of Christ has utmost importance to our living and our dying. Since Jesus is risen, may we stake our hope in him. Lord Jesus, thank you. 
that you took that new breath, that your blood did flow out of your body on the cross, but then through your veins truly once again as you defeated death. Thank you for dying for us, for our sins. Thank you for rising again. Lord Jesus, may we give you glory and may we stake our hope in you in this life and the one to come. We pray this in your name. Amen.